Maybe you all feel it, you just don't talk about it. Maybe you need to just do kind of some kind of family therapy. I don't know. Wow. That, I feel like, would be a good idea. So, hello and welcome <laughs> to... <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Queer Joy podcast where we have conversations about being gay as in happy. I'm Lily Linden and I'm a rom-com writer asking delightful queer creatives about the joy in their lives from the most profound of euphorias to the silliest of frivolities. I believe that queer joy is a radical and often hard-won act so it's important for us to keep sharing these positive stories and stubbornly celebrate the best parts of being in our community. This is also convenient for me because it means that I get to have a very nice time chatting to people that I think are really cool about what makes them happy and hopefully steal some ideas. So let's go on to today's guest. Welcome, Tasha. Hi. Thank you for being here. We're already having a nice time and I'm already (laughs) (laughs) feeling really like delighted that this is my life. Um... Please, would you introduce yourself? Of course. <laughs> Why am I laughing already? It's all the queer joy in it is, it's me. just bubbling yeah. up. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tasha Suri, and I mostly write uh, fantasy. And I'm best known for a series called the Burning Kingdoms trilogy, which starts with the Jasmine Throne. And I always describe that as morally grey lesbians burning down an empire in an Indian-inspired fantasy world. That's my pitch. Um, but I've also written a Doctor Who novella called The Cradle, um, which was so much fun. And I am, you may have guessed, a queer author and very happy to be here. Oh my God, I'm so happy that you're here. Let's define our terms. I'm interested in what, what does the phrase queer joy mean to you? What does it make you think of? Do you know that's actually a really hard one? Mm. And you did warn me you were going to ask that <laughs> and I'm still stumped. I, I think... Um, I have to start in a kind of non-joyous place to get to the joyous place here. So when you are part of any kind of marginalised community, often the things that define your community are um, denigrated or, you know, um, depicted in in like straightforward normative society, straightforward, (laughs) as as negative and scary and horrible things. Mm. So... um, I know as a South Asian person that, you know, people go, oh, curry smells and all that kind of thing. And then you go, okay, sure, you have no taste. You know, um, it's it's the joy you take in the things that other people tell you you shouldn't take joy in. And that kind of joy is very empowering and healing, I think, because you carry those wounds with you, whether you know it or not. And then when you go, actually, no, this is a joyous and wonderful thing, and you don't get it because you're not part of this community, you will never understand this joy. You live in your dull grey world where you don't get to have this. That feels very special. And I think that is essentially queer joy. I'm 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 fainting <laughs> for the listeners at home. I'm on the floor. I love, I love, I love. Something I really love about the, the queer people that I've met and befriended is like, we all believe we're better than straight people. Like, and and I, I just deep in my bones believe that queer people are better than straight <laughs> And I probably shouldn't be putting this on trust. I, I don't know if I should say that, but. <laughs> I, it, look, it's my truth. And <laughs> but I think that there is something so powerful about that going from being made to feel that you're like freakish or wrong 
to then re, you know, through this process of being like a uh, sort of self-acceptance to finally get to a point where you're like, oh, actually, you know, I, why, a part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is because I just genuinely believe that like being gay is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Oh. And like, I think that it is so sad that because of all of the shit that happens, we are made to forget all of the joys all the time. And it's so hard to cling on to those in the, this sort of feeling that you're not meant to be feeling delighted by it. So I really loved hearing your description. Thank you. Um, <laughs> also, we are going to say the phrase queer joy so many times that That's it okay will lose me. all meaning. Um, I've started to refer to it as a QJ moment. No. <laughs> I just can't do Have that. Have you had I any can't... moments of QJ recently? Why does that sound so wrong? It does sound it really, really does wrong, sound doesn't wrong. it? Yeah, it does. It can't... Que- Queejo. That sounds even, even worse. worse. <laughs> that whole bit about Queejo. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if there were any moments of like queer joy from recently that you might want to share. And I can go first or you could go first. Do you know what? I'm going to make you go first. Okay, yeah. Because yeah, I'm yeah. curious where you're going to jump to immediately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been keep I've been, you know, doing my homework and keeping a little ongoing list of like moments of queer joy that have been coming up for me. Mm-hmm. And I had like a house party the other weekend and um it was like a loose Christmas theme. Yeah. Loose Christmas theme. And I would say every single one of my queer friends who came to this party, this Christmas party, came dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> Was the theme Christmas? The was theme the, theme was, the theme was like Christmas, yeah. And, and, and everyone, everyone came as a cowboy. cowboy. <laughs> that is the queerest thing I've ever heard. How and does it just, even happen? It really tickled me how I feel like no matter what your gender, no matter what your sexuality, no matter who you are, you identify as a cowboy. <laughs> the type of cowboy reflects where you sit on the gender and sexuality spectrum. So true. Like I would very much lean towards the Barbie cowboy look. So good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was in, um, I was in like a cow print cowboy hat so I think I was going for like clown clown queer (laughs) like I'm fun (laughs) I prove it by having like novelty all right so so we now have barbie queer clown (laughs) queer yeah but cowboy is in brackets for both of those yes yeah and I also think you've got like you've got like you know sultry cowboy they're in like all black leather yeah they're like sexy gay Sexy cowboy. Sexy cowboy. Yeah, sexy leather cowboy? Sexy leather cowboy. Or is the leather kind of implied by cowboy? So true. I think sexy leather, why not have the full package? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those, that that was, that was a moment for me. (laughs) Um, I, I live in an all queer flat and it's so nice. And me and my flatmate Adam have um, started like really swapping clothes a lot. And it's so good. Basically, the other night, we just realized that both of us just, we're both kind of seeking a kind of like middle ground. Yeah. But like, he definitely wants like a more feminine middle ground and I want a more masculine middle ground. So we just swapped our trouser drawer and it has been life changing. Like, I now just only wear his trousers and he wears mine. Are you a similar height? We're we're like, like our bodies are like the same. Oh my god! Yeah, that's it's, so convenient. It's so convenient and so good. So now I'm going around in like baggy skater boy, like th- the jeans that I've been looking for in shops and haven't been able to find. Even though I swear I go in the men's sections, like why am I not able to find these trousers? It's a skill. It's a skill it's a to skill. find these things. It's yeah, a skill and I just don't have the patience. So. No, no. Yeah, but now I've and got them. Men's trousers are really specific. Like they have measurements on them. Whereas and I can't read numbers. I also can't. <laughs> Again, it's gay math. <laughs> no, gay math. Gay math. <laughs> Oh, what was my what was my queer joy? Um, 
I okay. This is a very small thing. I don't. I don't. Mm. I was gonna say I don't leave my house. I do leave my house. I literally just came back from Poland, uh, where I drank a lot of soup and saw some uh, fans and things, which was really nice. But the queerest thing that happened to me recently was I was reading. Don't laugh. Um, Sappho's poetry. Don't laugh. On, <laughs> on my velvet green couch. Don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> you're laughing. You're sorry. literally laughing. No, I'm sorry. I'm deadly sorry. Um, and then both my cats sat next to me. Um, and I was just like, is this, is this who I am? Is this who I am? And I looked across the room and there was my meditation cushion at the other end of the room. And I, I feel like anyone who's queer will understand what I have just described. Um, it's leaning on the kind of bisexual lesbian spectrum. Yeah. You, you're at the zenith. You've peaked. You've done it. No, 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 no. All I have to do now, like, cause I still eat meat. You see, if I become vegan, yes. then I've done it. Or then I move to Brighton. True. These are the two things I haven't accomplished. It's nice to still have goals. It is. It is. <laughs> it's nice to have things to look forward to. Right, right. But you see, the reason, the reason, okay, the yeah. reason that the green velvet sofa is is a queer sofa is yes. because the green doesn't show cat hair. Mm. And <laughs> I've discovered this. And also, cats don't like to scratch velvet sofas. They don't like the material. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So actually, it's it's for very practical reasons. The sofa makes absolute sense. If you're mm. the kind of person who is going to live with 26 cats, I only have two. But, but one day. One day. Again, it's yeah, on the Again, list. it's a goal. When, <laughs> when you move to Brighton. Yes. With your sofa. Also, I love that, you know, for me, green velvet sofa is just aesthetically really queer. But I also think there's something very gay about being like, no, practically it makes sense as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Really good. I love, I love. Um, should we? I want to talk about your writing, please. I mean, we can, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I just kind of want to hear more about, like, your meditation cushion. How often are you meditating? Uh, the cushion's there to inspire me yeah. to actually attempt to do it. It's, it's like, an aesthetic Yeah, no, it's actually really cushion. comfortable to sit on, though, when you're playing um, video games. Yes, yeah. yeah. We were talking a little bit before we pressed record about your writing, mm. and... I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and remember the exact question that I said in order to sort of get like a kind of robotic like automatic I, reply that because it was so good. I can't remember the question. No, you asked either, no, so. right. okay. Let's <laughs> let's see if we can sort of meander towards it. A question that I'm kind of asking for different people who come on the pod mm-hmm. is: How do you think, if at all, about kind of queer joy in relation to your writing? You know, I think for readers of your work. In some ways, you know, you'd be you'd be or oh, reading your books and going, "This isn't what I thought queer joy might look like." <laughs> <laughs> you with your different books, maybe it's different. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually. So, um, I've written quite a few books at this point. So, my first two books, *Empire of Sand* and *Rumble Dash*, had no queer content at all, um, and that was because I wasn't out. Whee! So, <laughs> I wasn't comfortable um, putting that into my work. But then, when I reached um, *The Jasmine Throne*. Uh, I wanted to write a queer story and the queer story wanted to be written. I wrote it about a um, an imprisoned princess who is, um, it's all very dark, being um, drugged into compliance because she tried to overthrow her brother and he wanted her to burn alive and she refused. So things aren't going well for her. And her love interest is a maidservant who... Um, is secretly a magic user and all of the other children like her died in very horrible circumstances so she has to hide her identity also quite grim and then they proceed to help slash manipulate each other for their own ends throughout the whole of the first book and things do not get better when you hit the second book um i it's very hot though 
I thank you. <laughs> thank you. We love a bit of manipulation. So for a long time when I was working on the first book, its code name was, and I've never said this to anyone because I was like, I will get cancelled, but I will say it here. Yeah, please. Trash lesbians. I was like, it's the trash lesbians trash book. Lesbians. And it's not because they are trash. It's not because lesbians are trash. I hope the people listening to the podcast are aware of that. It's because I wanted them to be toxic because mm. that is what I enjoy reading. My life is very lovely. You know, my marriage is very lovely, just to be clear. But that's what I really enjoy in fiction. When I read um, straight romances, I loved it when like, oh, it was a little bit dark mm. and messy. Um, and I felt like for a long time and maybe even today in, mm. in lots of circles, um, there is a belief that queer fiction has to be good representation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that the straights will read it and go, oh. They're okay. Yeah, those those lesbians or those bi girls or, you know, ev- you know anyone on the gender and sexuality spectrum is, you know, they're good people like us. I don't care if you think <laughs> that lesbians or queer women are good people. I just don't care. I want to read um, the toxic relationships that I enjoy and I want to write them. So for me... Queer Joy was getting to write the super messy, complex relationships that I'd seen straight couples in fiction have. That was joyous for me. Mm. It happened. It happened. The answer happened. You did it. (laughs) Queer Joy doesn't have to be this sense of like them skipping around in the sunshine holding hands. It can absolutely be um, getting to experience like the full range of emotion, including like the the most deliciously dark horrible stuff and actually see that on a page and they're still gay you know and, and yes, yeah yeah oh and also i'm afraid to say does i just think it is really sexy i'm with you i'm with you 100 <laughs> percent like um when they're glaring at each oh, i just there's nothing like obsession right yeah I think that's a kind of queer joy it's the kind of I think the dynamic is the kind that if you're like friends that you knew had that kind of dynamic you'd be like you just you just need to leave each other you're you keep getting back together and breaking up and you know I I can't cope with this anymore you need to sort your lives out and your friend would be like no no we actually really like each other and I'm like oh yeah not that I'm speaking from experience here um but in fiction, it's fun. Yes. So I had a question from a fan in, and I think this might be a nice time for me to ask Ooh, a it. Question from a, a question fan. from a fan. I know. Um, so thank you to the, the fan for sending this in. I'm going to read it out. Mm-hmm. What was the best bit about writing the story between Milani and Priya? And then in brackets. And also, how dare you end on that in the Oleander Sword <laughs> when we have to wait so long for the next one? Um, what was the best thing about writing their relationship? Um... <laughs> I I love writing yearning. There's another author I know, um, Claire North, who's always um, gently. You know the way your friends can rip you apart like nobody else. Mm. Yeah. So um, Claire's always like, um, "Have you written any more yearning recently? How's the yearning going?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, okay, yes. I love yearning. I know it's all my work." Um, author of yearning. That was my favorite thing to write. Um, but I also love any scene of like power exchange. And I do mean that both kinkily and non-kinkily, mm. right? Um, because there are so many moments where what defines their relationship is going, I give you complete power over me, even though I am more powerful than you. And that dynamic keeps shifting between them constantly. Um, <sighs> and I <laughs> and I love that. I love mm. that kind of um, playing with that power dynamic really consciously. Again, I think a lot of straight fiction does that a lot, but doesn't necessarily think of it in kink terms. Mm. Um 
And I was quite curious to see if people would interpret the Jasmine Throne and the Oleander Sword through, like, um, I can't believe I'm saying all this, through kink terms. Yes. Because they do negotiate consent at one point in the second book. Um, and I don't think many people have picked up on it, or at least I haven't been told that they have, but it's definitely a big part of their dynamic. I feel like I've, I've had a vision of people <laughs> writing, you know, like, through, a le- like, writing es- academic essays about these books through lenses of kink. Surely I would that is a whole love thing. That so much. I would love that so okay, much. Okay, if you're listening <laughs> and you're like a kink researcher. I will say though that I think that queer writers of queer fiction do have to think more consciously about what is kink and what oh. is consent than you don't than you necessarily have to with straight fiction. Of course, many writers of straight romance do think about mm, it. Mm, like mm. I can think of loads of examples, but I I think when you work in like um a, a historical narrative um or like a, an existing tradition wherein mm. there is some understanding of certain things being sexy and normative even if they are essentially kink um you don't have to think about it in the same way as queer authors do where you you have so to consciously make decisions i don't know if that makes sense yeah but yeah what is hot or not is so informed by the ways in which maybe queer readers have thought about that do you, you know think, yeah no i think there's so many different things at play because of course like Queer, queer readers will be like, I just want to read something toxic and yeah. they don't need any of that like negotiated. So but at the same time, I think there are times when we do. And it's nice to have like such a range of queer fiction now where you can have the kind of like, here's my my lovely delicious trash in the best <laughs> way possible. Yes. And here's my like deep um, analysis of consent and kink. And sometimes these things do cross over. Yes. Like, um, C.S. Picat's The Captive Prince. Mm, I haven't read um, it. It started on Live Journal, so it's a very, but it, it, it's kind of a, it's a fantasy um, about uh, slavery and it's gay. And it's been very critiqued for like its approach to slavery and consent. But I also think personally that you could critique it on that basis, but it's also really about questions of what consent is and what mm. slavery is. So it is so interesting. And as you said, you know, like what a, what a joy, if I may, to <laughs> be able to have um, more range and therefore, because uh, I think something that um, I feel anecdotally queer writers um, have often talked about or queer sort of creators, uh, a sort of fear of feeling like they need to be represented, like everything to everyone. Yes. And yeah. this sense of like, well, if I'm going to be the kind of one lesbian fantasy writer not that that is the case but you know like if the feeling of the the, the sort of many different labels (laughs) the sort of pressure of feeling even if there are others it kind of means that we don't get to hear often I think what people's actual like you were describing like what I want to read is trash lesbians yeah and there can be this fear of oh well I can't I can't do that because what if we haven't had the like non-trash lesbians yet doing this you know it's like but but this is what we want we want the trash (laughs) lesbians and and it's so nice to be able to have people like you writing what you actually want to be reading and writing. Oh yeah, absolutely, it's that's so what I'm doing. It's so good, and thank goodness, because it means we can kind of skip the um, tentative, embarrassed stages in between sometimes, and those can always get filled in, but I think sometimes reaching further and sort of doing the, I don't know. No, I think that's <laughs> lovely. I think the, the worst thing is when you're the only one, right? Mm. And because because then you do feel responsible for everything, and also readers could come to you and go, well, not you directly, mm. but come to your work and go, well, this doesn't represent me and I have nothing else. And that's sad. But no 
writer, no creator can be responsible for representing everyone. Yes. That's literally impossible. Yes. Um, so it's nice that there are, you know, sapphic or lesbian or queer works mm. that, that are sweet and romantic and gentle or funny and charming or kind of or dark <laughs> and messy that you can go and find the thing that works for you you don't have to kind of be like well here's the the singular yeah, lesbian book that's yeah, out this year yes. <laughs> i guess i'm gonna have to be represented by this yes yes so true so true and yeah oh i'm just excited for reading more varied things it's so good um i'm wondering about sort of thinking less about the sort of content of mm-hmm. your writing and maybe about the sort of process of writing and sort of being in this industry and doing this kind of work, whether there have been moments of queer joy in your kind of process. So um, one of the nicest things that's happened to me is um, I've started, well, I now have a group of queer writers who are my friends. And when I started in the industry, I didn't know anybody at all. Um, And I sort of met a few people through writing, but I was also working full time. Mm. And I think I was doing, had I finished my master's? I might've been doing my master's as well. And I was quite busy. So I didn't really have a writing community in any meaningful way. Um, But then after the pandemic, I became um, not a full-time writer, but more or less. And could spend more time, you know, working in coffee shops yes. like everyone imagines writers yes, do. It was yes. so much fun. Um, You're there, like playing the part of. Yes, yeah, mostly just like on Instagram. But like, yeah. I could, I could believe I was writing, and I started meeting other writers. And luckily, some of them actually live near me, so we ended up mm. meeting more regularly. And almost all of them, may, I'm not sure if all of them, I haven't asked, but most of them are queer or queer adjacent. Mm. And it's been such a joy to have those friends because at some point I kind of forget that straight people exist. Yes. And I'm like, oh, well, that's the token straight friend. <laughs> They're a minority here. Yeah. Um, and you're like gently welcoming them in. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you don't get it. It's okay. It's not okay. Nobody's perfect. Um, <laughs> but it's just been really nice to be in a space where being my, like, being all the things that I might have been teased for as a kid, right, is is great and mm. celebrated. Where what I am is, like, I wouldn't say normal necessarily, but normal's no longer the goal, right? Like, nobody is trying to be normal. Everyone's trying to be more who they are, mm. um, as and no matter how messy or complicated that is. And that's really joyous. And having that friendship group has, has changed my writing experience completely because it's, you know, this not to go into a dark place, but this industry can be really difficult yeah. because you're you're basically going, here's my soul. Yes. Please pay money for it. And that's hard, right? And you have to have good boundaries and you have to accept, um, you know, that sometimes people are not going to go, wow, that's great, because they can't. Because mm. again, no thing is perfect for everybody. Mm. Um, so having other writer friends who are also queer means that I have other people who completely understand my experience and can also go yeah that sucks or wow that's amazing and celebrate your wins with you and kind of commiserate when you have your downs it's so powerful it's so good and maybe it's true of any industry but I guess I can only speak about this one because it's the one I find myself in and I think that when you are well it can be so easy to view um work as a competition where one person's success equals another person's failure and it's so I think powerful to have a writing group where you are supporting each other because it helps you to see that that isn't true yeah and to feel that it's so much more powerful and fun and good for everyone to collaborate and to support each other and to know what's going on in like this more open way and I do think that that then casts a more certainly I found since having 
little writer group friends that I feel so much more optimistic about the kind of industry as a whole, even when I'm not even necessarily getting evidence of that back. It helps me, I suppose, to assume the best of things and to assume the best in people, even if they're strangers, rather than to sort of paranoically think, oh God, everyone thinks I'm so such a dummy and slash... Nobody thinks you're a dummy. <laughs> Thank you, Tasha. I don't. I, <laughs> That's what I needed. I'm going to record that. And no, no, no. Yeah, play record that back it. To record myself. it. I mean, you are night. recording I it. I am yeah. recording it. That was the point of this podcast. <laughs> no, I think you're really, really cool. I'm not just saying that for the podcast. Oh my God, that, I genuinely do. I'm going to faint. <laughs> <laughs> People can't see you flailing on your chair, yeah. but I can. I can. I, yeah, I think it is, it is funny. I was talking to another friend about this and I was saying it's almost like when you don't know somebody and sometimes even when you do there's something that I call altitude sickness where you meet somebody who's let's say like um let's say made oodles of money or Mm. somebody who's won loads of awards or somebody who's like multiple bestseller and these can all be different people because very rarely do you have somebody who has all of that right or somebody who just writes better than you I don't know yeah you 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 meet these people and you can have this sense of altitude sickness like you feel almost sick because you're like how could I ever accomplish that you know I'm Mm. a failure and actually getting to know people makes you realize that everyone has their insecurities and their struggles and even if on the outside things look perfect everyone has a life beyond writing that can be very complicated yes and everybody needs somebody else to say to them hey it's okay I think you're great right and when you start sharing those vulnerabilities and that joy you start to realize that you can't control the bestseller list, the awards. You can't control um, whether somebody thinks your writing is good or not. What you can control is the joy that you put into your work and mm. the joy that you take from other people's work. Like every time one of my friends sends me some of their work and I read it, I just feel like so privileged because I'm like, I get to experience this thing that you made and you get to experience the stuff that I made. And isn't that just magical? It is properly magical. It really is. It, uh this is going to sound so twee. My spiritual friends talk about uh, inner children a lot, right? Yeah. And I think for me, it's the closest that I get to, it's the closest I get to being able to be like sincere about that. Because I think so much of the time I'm so repressed and ironic about everything. Right? <laughs> it's like, I'm so detached. Um, there's something so childlike in such a gorgeous way about writing something and showing it to someone and them going oh my god I love it you know it really it's is like so it's lovely. like the child doing the finger painting and then showing it and being like that's really nice and it's it's so cool that we get to do that and it being like here's a piece of my soul do you like it and it's so amazing to find a community where whoever that is whether it's queer community writers both whatever yeah where they're literally like yeah great bit of soul you've got there yeah <laughs> like, oh my yeah. god yes it's like it's you so see nice. me yeah right? yeah it's amazing it, it is really amazing. is amazing and it's made um I mean it doesn't get rid of all the the, the business stress let's call mm. it because when mm. you're doing something as a career of course there's business stress you know that oh will this sell will this do well da, da, da. but it makes all of that feel less important because you start to realize that you never got into writing <laughs> for the business for the emails no you didn't get into it for loads of money you would have done a different job yeah. right otherwise um, you're an idiot <laughs> yes exactly um you got into it to to share your little finger paintings with the world that's the joyous thing oh my god i'm gonna weep <laughs> with joy weep with, with joy. joy with joy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but enough with business <laughs> tell me about um Tell me about what you do for fun outside of work, Tasha. Where are you finding your queer joy? Okay, so right before I came to this podcast, yes. I was playing Baldur's Gate, um, which I'm obsessed with. 
Tell me Obsessed. about it. Obsessed. Okay. I've never played it. Okay, so um, I actually, I'm a D&D player. I've been mm. playing D&D for a long time, which is really funny because I literally have to calculate, which means I'm bad at math. So every time I have to roll anything, I'm like, what's the D10? What's the D8? <laughs> and everyone very patiently goes, it's the one that looks like this. Literally, two years, three years in, I'm still doing this. Um, my friend, can I just, yeah, my yeah. friend has them like uh, a bit of paper with <gasps> with the different numbers written on it and whenever you put the dice back into like a position you put it onto the number that, that it is. That is so clever. I should do that. I won't. You but won't. I should. <laughs> um I so I play D and D and I've been mm. playing it for years and years and years. I played um uh, I played a bard called Dolph Longman who played a keytar and wore um, rollerblades. He was a joke character. I played him for two years. Um Commit to the bit. I committed to the bit. It was he was hilarious. It was like playing like a, a golden retriever um, in this whole party of like dark, serious people. Oh, and so he's like, "Hey guys, rollerblading around." Yeah, yeah. It was great fun. Was he, did you find him actually like then? Did he kind of surprise? Did he end up being a really useful player, or he, was he always I a bit of light relief? <laughs> He was he was useful because they had no healers, so mm. I was like the one healer. Um, and I don't mind playing buff characters in that sense, like mm. characters that buff other characters. He was also buff, um, gorgeous. But he I, was also hench. <laughs> he was so hench. Um, never had a shirt on. Um, <laughs> based him on Dolph Lundgren, which is why he was called Dolph Longman. Um, oh Dolph and Longman, such a joke character. Um, but he was good because he kind of kept the party kind of calm, mm. um, and it was just an entirely again queer group of characters so he was like the most visibly queer i think oh my God. Um, would hang around with the extremely fey elf um who was very catty but but yeah it's beautiful to have queer representation it really <laughs> is that is the queer representation we deserve and then i've played um a sort of very grumpy grumpy that's the word grumpy divorced dad cleric um, who just carries his baby in a papoose everywhere. Oh, my God. Yes, and the DM has kindly allowed the baby not to be injured at any point, which I really appreciated. Um, but yes, D&D, love D&D. But Baldur's Gate is basically D&D that you play on your own on a computer mm. um, with like a plot line and you can romance your companions and you can decide what you are so you can change your race, your appearance, your weapons, everything. So I um, love that. Whenever so I used to play... Um Whenever I used to play video games growing up, and I, I, I go through a little phase, every few years I'll go through a little phase, so hopefully I'll have one coming up. But I used to just only, I just used to spend my entire time just making the characters. Oh, and then would, deleting them never, again and then starting again no, 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 to make a new character. You don't understand how often I've done this. I was like, I, I know this game is complicated, so I'm going to make my, my main character as similar to my current cleric as possible, but a woman, because I, I just felt like that. Mm. So I, you know, I made her a Tempest cleric and. Um, which means nothing to a lot of people I know, but bear with me. Um, <laughs> and I like equipped her with similar weapons and took her into the battle. And I was like, this is great and everything, but she's just kind of human and that's fine. So I was like, I'm just going to go make another character to, to local multiplayer with my spouse. And I made a pink tiefling, <laughs> which for anyone who plays D&D is the queerest thing you can do. <laughs> like it's a running joke, you know, are you playing a tiefling? Are you gay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you're, what is a tiefling? A tiefling is descended from, um, essentially, like has an infernal lineage. So they're like either pink skinned or red skinned or like yellow skinned or well, like golden skinned, I guess, or like blue skinned. And they have horns and a tail. Like, do they look like a little like devil? They look like a full. Human. Are they full humanoid? Yeah, full humanoid, but they have like devil qualities to them. Gorgeous. Yeah, we love. So I was like, well, obviously, I have to make a pink tiefling of course so she has pink skin pinkish um sort of trans flag colored hair barbie cowboy yeah barbie cowboy that's <laughs> basically exactly what i've done 
<laughs> yeah, and I was just like, this is perfect. And my spouse was like, I'm going to make a dragon ball, which is essentially a human with a dragon's head. Mm. I was like, this is the difference between us. I have sat here perfecting the makeup on my tiefling so that she can have like this gorgeous like pink makeup oh my God. which is like kind of shaped like tears and you've just made a giant dragon you just went uh, yeah the dragon one let's go yeah yeah <laughs> this is the diff- the two genders yeah yeah <laughs> i was wondering if you could do any if there was any one or anything that you wanted to do a little shout out to a little recommendation of anything um little book little film little something can I shout out two things? Yeah. Okay, so I've been going on and on and on about this novella. Like, I'm being paid. I'm not being paid. I'm not even sure it's coming out in the UK. It's coming out in, like, February, I think. And it's called The Woods All Black by Lee Mandelo. And it's set in, um, and, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, Appalachia, Appalachia, in the 1920s. And it's about a um, a trans character who is, like, I think would probably be called, like, a butch he him um, Gorgeous. today. But sort of basically on the trans mass spectrum fancy them already who has to um has to kind of pass as a woman because um he's working as a nurse for this nursing service that's meant to help um pregnant women in Appalachia and um the and and essentially it's all about like bigotry and a small town that's like being fermented by like religious hatred and it's about queer revenge Mm. and it's 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 arguably a horror but it's really a like absolutely a revenge fantasy and it's got is there a rating on this podcast to check oh really good question i can add one okay well you can you can bleep me but Mm. it's got monster fucking and it's like (laughs) so it's like got revenge and monster fucking. i really didn't know what you were gonna say yeah i i just well there you go thank you monster fucking great yeah, and so I think it's an amazing novella, and I just want everyone to read it. I was kicking my little feet by the end of it, going, yes, yes. Um, so I'm going to have to recommend that. And all of Lee's books are amazing, so check all of them out. Like, Summer Suns is fantastic. Um, and I I'm also... sold on... I'm sold. Excellent. I'm sold on excellent. Monster Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> there are many shades of it, but this is the joyous revenge queer type. So, um, And I'm also like been revisiting the music that I really loved as a teenager which you know was before mm. I came out to myself and I should have known from all the women playing guitars and music and pianos that I would listen to but I've been listening to Vienna Tang again and mm. her music is so beautiful I don't know her so she she kind of sang a lot of songs which are kind of just very beautifully lyrical her voice is really smooth and velvety um I I just think she's great. I recommend you look up her music. Mm. She's kind of one of those where if you got an album, you could just lie on your bed and listen to it and go, wow, I'm having so many feelings. That's her kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, when you think you're the only person who does something. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny to me that I think that I'm the only person who lies on a bed and listens to an album to have feelings. Everyone does that. (laughs) It's obviously obviously such a human thing to do. And it's so funny that I thought I was weird for doing that. I also think there's like a, um, not a universal queer experience. I think it sits more within the lesbian spectrum of like, oh, I'm really obsessed with this lady who, you know, sings a lot about women and plays a guitar. Wonder why that that? is. (laughs) It's very like Suzanne Vega, Tori Amos, you know, all of those people. And I don't know if that's just like my generation, and but I kind of see that with the Taylor Swift girlies. I feel like some of them are in it for that, right? So true. Yeah. And how yeah. many know that? Do we think? 
We'll find out. We'll find yeah, out. We'll find there'll, out. Be, there'll be a wave. There'll yeah, be a, yeah. yeah. Um, my Spotify wrapped. My top five artists um, were four lesbians and uh, a sort of soft indie rock boy, which oh, I feel that, like that feels is, right. That, that feels right for that me. That does feel right. <laughs> um, unfortunately, like I have my kind of. Uh, lesbian guitar music phases quite regularly but i'm more into like edm and trance yeah like i listen to a lot of that are you listening lot. to that while you're writing yeah 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 because it gets me in the right headspace yes um so sometimes people ask me like what music did you listen to when you were writing this book and i'm like well it won't make any sense to you because it doesn't feel like it matches the book in any way but yes i promise you it helped me write those particular scenes yes i listen to um yeah because if i'm like trying to sort of drown out background noise yeah but I, I need it to be quite like upbeat so that I stay mm. awake. So I end up listening to, um, have, you, have you ever listened to any Glitch Hop? No, but I think I have to. That's such a good name. It, it's, um, I let someone in the other day into my brain and I played them some. And I think they, they couldn't listen for more than about four seconds. It's like, it's like hyper, like hype. The word is hyper, you know? I really it's like want you to play some right now, but I don't know if you can. <laughs> okay, so if I'm typing in glitch hop, here's, here's a classic. So I'm there being like, and then she kissed her. <laughs> it does sound like an anime. I don't opening. want to ask you if you've got ADHD, but I feel <laughs> Who doesn't? Who that's doesn't true. at this point? That's true. That's true. Um, what were we talking? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So th- uh, your <laughs> proving yes, my point. Music, yeah. music recommendation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So okay, here we are. Tasha, it's been so nice. It's been I'm so, much so, much <laughs> so much fun. Um, here's a little question for you. We're not always feeling queer, Joy. If you were speaking to a friend who was feeling that way, what might you say to them? I okay so when I was feeling um low about my queerness Mm. for a variety of reasons this I I don't know if this works anymore it really worked at the time but I feel like my feelings about this particular media have altered a bit Mm. I watched all of RuPaul's Drag Race from season one which was quite hard to do because you can't get season one um (laughs) all the way to like season eight or nine or something and I would just watch it all the way through and the whole season with Bianca Del Rio was like very important to me and I watched that over and over again and I think that um Drag Race has gone very mainstream but like for a long time it was here uh, a group of mostly men Mm. and some trans women being unapologetically queer Mm. like they have claimed the title some of them are like yeah people call me a freak and I claim that and I was like I love that Mm. I love that because you know when you were trying to play with respectability politics it's nice to see people being really 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 unapologetically queer and I love that so well probably won't work for me right now Mm. but at the time it was so effective and maybe yeah finding finding a series that speaks to the thing that it is that you're worried about at the time yeah, you yeah. know and uh, yeah i love i love that phrase respectability politics that's gorgeous is that i i'm sure i've heard that somewhere i'm it's, sure like it's a formal phrase that people use yeah it's, it's, I think it makes it's so much sense used in race circles as well the right, idea of right. like if you are trying to present mm. in a way that will make the norm accept you mm. um you are like it, it can be kind of damaging to you and to the community because you know we shouldn't have to do any of that basically i think that's what resp- it's so, it makes so much sense yeah. oh thank you oh, anytime anytime thank you next time 
Next time I'm feeling queer sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and look for a nice TV show. And but hey, you could also embrace the queer sadness and listen to sad ladies with guitars. So true. Yeah, I'll lie on yeah. my bed and I'll listen, listen to, to <laughs> King Princess and I'll be like, I wonder why it is that I really like this music. <laughs> Such a mystery. Such a mystery. And um, Tasha, thank you so much no, for coming you. on the Queer Joy podcast. <laughs> it has been, uh-oh, a queer Joe. Um, oh, I'm God. Gonna- <laughs> <laughs> and I ruined it at the last.